0: Well, we're going to get into this, and I'm going to tell you something, guys. I'm, I'm out of my comfort zone tonight, for sure. I'd much rather just be unpacking, you know, a, a text, you know? And, um, but this is, I believe, what God has for this hour. And uh, so I'm going to share my testimony, and, and I'm thankful for Pastor and helping with the title. It's called A Fundamentalist Receives Fire. <laughs> And, um, there are only a few things that I love more than hearing how God has worked in someone's life. Like just Reuben, you know, that testimony just, it blessed me right now. And, uh, if we could all line up tonight, I'm sure we all have a testimony of what God has done even this week in our lives or in our families. And, uh, it's a beautiful picture of who our God is and, uh, I want to begin my testimony by saying, of course, Jesus is the hero of my story. And he's the hero of your story, too. I don't deserve to be up here. And I don't say that lightly. All odds were stacked against me, I believe, even from from birth. And I guess we'll start there. Uh, They asked me to send some photos, so here's a picture. (laughs) That's a baby photo, baby Abram. And uh, I was, yeah, he kind of looks like Mike. You can see my sons, you know, there. But some of my earliest memories are thoughts that I was having about God. I'm going to be honest with you. I remember, you know, three and four years old, waking up at night and wondering why I am who I am or who made me and, and who, you know, why does the, the sun come up in the morning? Why are these, why are these stars out? And, you know, some of the earliest memories that I have is, is thinking about who God is. And um, the truth is he... He was drawing me from just the time that I was a little one. I was born into a family, uh, a, a very, um, you know, tough family, I would say. Um, family life consisted of a, a, a father who, who struggled with addictions, who struggled with alcoholism and, and drug addiction, and, and um, he couldn't hold a job. He, he never uh, would hold a job very long, so I cannot even tell you how many times that we moved. Uh, there were bouts of homelessness within that. I remember living in hotels. I remember living uh, in a shelter, and while in one of those shelters, as a, uh, I think, three-year-old boy, I, I saw a cup on a, on a table there, and inside of that cup was nail polish remover, and I, I, I drunk it, and my mother said she just heard a scream, and she ran and picked me up. She knew something was wrong, and that acid had gone down my esophagus. I was rushed to the hospital where I spent the next three months, and um, it was a traumatic thing for her. She had already lost a child. My mother's firstborn, passed away with spinal meningitis, and, and so... You can imagine just the horror with this. And, you know, we, we struggled and God, okay, he was even in that household. I know my father was one way, but my mother, she loved the Lord. She, she loved the Lord with all her heart. And as early as I can remember, she did her very best to, to walk with him. And even though we had our difficulties, even though there was a lot of tough days, I had a happy childhood because of my mom's love. Now we didn't live in a very openly affectionate home. And there, there I am about nine years old. We're going to get to that. (laughs) My mother, she never made us feel like we were a burden, even though my father was doing his thing. And, you know, my father was a womanizer on top of his addictions and, I remember one time one of his other baby mamas followed me and my sister home from from the the local corner store. And uh, she had this little baby inside of a stroller. And I looked at this baby and he looked just like me. I knew in my heart of hearts, this was my brother. And she said, where's your father? And of course I was traumatized. I'm seven or eight years old. I'm like, I don't know where he is right now. And she followed us home because he had ghosted her. And just things like that in, in my memory of my childhood. But like I said, I had a happy childhood. My mother took very good care of us. She, she was my barber. You see right there? That's, that was my haircut most of the time. <laughs> you see you see that little necklace on there? You probably can't see, but it was a Tasmanian devil. Um, I, I was... <laughs> labeled as ADHD, they tried to put me on Ritalin and every other drug you can think about. But my mother refused to let them label me. She refused to give up on me, and she poured into us, myself and my two sisters. And, you know, I just want to stop there and just encourage some, uh, maybe a single mother or a mother who's uh, raising children with a difficult spouse right now I want you to know it matters what you're doing you don't know who what God is going to call that baby to that child to you don't know but my testimony would be a lot different I truly believe if my mother wasn't who she chose to be now she came from uh, a very tumultuous uh, home life as well her father as well was an alcoholic he made 12 children which he did not take care of and um so my childhood, around the time of this picture, is when Jesus saved me. Now I had heard about Jesus; my mother had taught me, and but it was at a summer camp as a nine-year-old boy where I heard the gospel and understood it for the first time. And I, I heard that I had a Father in Heaven who sent His Son Jesus down because He loved the whole world, and. and and when I heard about love, that God loved me, that just, that just hit me. I never had heard my father say those words to me. And um, he went on and he said, you know what, Jesus, he, he died for my sin. And, and of course, at this point in my life, I, I, was, I was skilled at sinning already. I had already been, you know, close to arrested for shoplifting. I had already gotten in trouble in school almost every other day. I, I was that one child that they would sit away from the rest of the children, that was me. My mom would have to come to school. And I knew in my heart of hearts that I was a sinner. I knew there was something wrong with me. I want to be a good boy. I want to do what's right, but I just couldn't. And, you know, it speaks to what the scripture says. You know, we are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. But I remember in that camp, that preacher got up and he shared this news with me. And I, I just, I, I, I grabbed on to Jesus that day. I asked Him to save me. I'll never forget that. And um, I wish I could tell you that after that, I, I walked with the Lord. <laughs> that I, um, I grew in my faith. But truth is, I, I, you know, growing up, I in my, you know, preteens and in my teen years, I, I strayed. I strayed from God. I would compromise. I was more concerned with fitting in than standing out for Jesus. I feared being, you know, made fun of by my friends. Uh, I was a good student up until middle school, and um, my friends made fun of me because I was on the dean's list. Oh, you, you bookworm, you nerd, and they, they, you know, they got me, right? And, and so I, I purposely began to sabotage my grades to my mother's heartbreak, <laughs> And um, that led me into high school. Now, let me, let me just back up a little bit. Uh, my parents, of course, uh, they ended up splitting. Uh, we, we lived in Denver, Colorado, and then our parents, my parents split. And we moved here to the desert. And let me tell you, we moved here in July. <laughs> I remember getting off the Metrolink and said, what armpit are we in? what are you doing to me? Like, and I was already upset. I didn't want to, even though my dad wasn't a great father, I, I didn't want to leave him, you know? So we're coming here to live with family and, and we come to Lancaster of all places, California. My mother had a sister who, uh, two sisters who had moved here and, and they said we could stay with them until we got on our feet. And so we are here and I began to, like I said, in middle school, I began to act out and get into more trouble. And um, that led me, of course, into, high school. And uh, I think there's a picture of me in high school. I'm the one on the, the right with the Lakers shorts on. I'm still a Lakers fan, but we, we don't got a lot to cheer about these days. <laughs> but anyways, you see it. This is some of you kids, the early 2000s, you, what you did is you went to the store, you bought the biggest clothes that you can find. <laughs> some of you remember this, right? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 170 pounds soaking wet in that photo, but I'm wearing a 5X shirt, you know. <laughs> but you see, I'm holding up the, stick, the, the sign, I, you know, I was into the, the, you know, rap, you know, Jay-Z, Rockefeller. I was just, I was heading down a, a path of just away from the Lord, not really uh, living for him during my teen years. And I just want to encourage I, my heart is always overwhelmed with joy when I see our kids, our teens at this altar. When I see God doing something in the youth group. And, um, because I, I know what it's like not to. And, uh, you know, I think about my best friend in high school, you know, he's still to this day, he doesn't know the Lord. And and I, um, I'm still praying for him. And, uh, but yeah, so high school was, like many of you, you know, the time where you start to get into trouble. You, 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 I, I never let my mother know of the trouble I was getting into. I, I kept it secret. I was living a double life, you know. I, 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 true, I truly hid it from her. But I, I didn't get into as much trouble as I probably would have, you know, because I still had a curfew. You guys know my mother would put me to bed at 8 o'clock. I was a senior in high school. <laughs> I was 6'3", you know. <laughs> Playing varsity basketball, she said, you know, it's time to go turn the TV off. (laughs) Because she was going to wake us up at five in the morning, four in the morning, because we're going to have a family devotion before you go to that public school. And many of those I slept through, but you know, the word of God is quick and powerful. (laughs) And sharpening any two-edged sword, even though I was in slumber, even though I I wasn't really feeling it. The word of God was getting in there, y'all. And um, so high school, I, I, <laughs> I didn't uh, live for the Lord. And then so fast forward, I'm going to move quickly here. We're going to get to the part where the fundamentalist gets on fire, okay? Um, I would say after high school, when I was, you know, I was 18 now, I, was, I thought I could do what I want to do. So my mom couldn't force me to go to church anymore. I begin to party. I begin to get into trouble. But I want to tell you something. The whole time that I was partying, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. I was miserable. I, I truly didn't enjoy uh, being at, you know, in the functions and 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 it, it. You know, there was a little pleasure there. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, but the end thereof. And at the end of every night that I go and get, get wasted and, 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 and do things I knew, and the Holy Spirit was convicting me about, I would always feel uh, just empty. I'd feel uh, depressed, and I'd feel like, why can I be like my friends who, they're like, they can't wait to do it again tomorrow. Because even during this time, God was drawing me. God, he had a plan for me. Right after high school is when I met my wife. And uh, she was, uh, she's working at a McDonald's on the east side of Lancaster. And I, I went through the drive-thru. And, uh, you know, I turned to hand my money, and I look in there, and she, I'm like, I thought I saw an angel. <laughs> she had her hair in these two long braids, and I was like, Pocahontas. I, uh, I want to be your, your John Smith. Woo. She completely ignored me. I tried to ask her for her name, her number. I went through every time I go through. I would live, I lived on the west side. I was at my friend's house when I went through that drive-through. I'd drive through. But I drive from the west side to the east side to go to this McDonald's, see if I can catch her. I begin to stalk her. <laughs> One day, the big thing, you know, in the early 2000s out here, it was the, the movie theater. It's not much more today, but I remember one of those Fast and Furious movies were, was coming out, and, and all the high school and, you know, the young people would, would go see it. And afterwards, you stand outside and with your 5X t-shirts and your, your Air Forces or whatever, you, you know, your, your shoe of choice, and you, you try to, you know, holler at the girls, you know? And I remember being out there with a few of my friends, and I'm thinking I'm hot stuff. You know, I'm playing basketball with, you know, at AVC. Tim is my coach, one of my assistant coaches. And, and I see Erica over there, and I'm like, oh, man. And you know how it looks, guys. She's in a pack of her friends. That is the most ruthless type of thing, situation you want to have to be in. You have to go in and single her out out of all her friends. And, you know, the death stares, were, they were looking, and who is this guy? Like, why are you... And I went up to her and she's looking at me kind of sideways. And but we had a little brief conversation, and I got enough information in that conversation to, to do some work. And I found out we had a mutual friend. And I said to that friend, his name was Mike, Mike Webb, you remember him. And, and I said, Hey Mike, please, brother, put in a good word. <laughs> Be a reference for me, okay? Help me. Like you know, she's the only woman that I ever pursued, really. And um, Mike put in a good word, and and, um, she went on. For her, it was a blind date. I knew exactly what I was getting. She didn't remember any of the conversation, anything. So obviously, I didn't make a good first impression. (laughs) But, hey, I won in the end. Hey, we're here. (laughs) Anyways. I'm a teenager. She, you know, we're, we're not living for the Lord. That relationship was not right. And I'm convicted even in that. And um, miserable, honestly. I remember when she went off to college, I, I waited. This, I was such a coward. I waited till she went off to Ohio to call her on the phone and say, hey, I can't do it anymore. And, and I broke her heart. And uh, God, he, he kept us apart for some years I'll get back to this in a moment anyways God began to remove things from my life he began to remove an idol the main one at that time which was basketball uh, I thought I was on my way to the league I thought I was going to at least you know go play D1 somewhere and and uh, I, th- I thought that you know that was why I was on the earth and and so that's all I poured myself into but God removed me from from removed that out of my life and I remember kind of spiraling down for a season and just going further into drinking and, and uh, not really knowing what God, or not really looking for God, not really going to church, not really uh, seeking the right uh, path and, and just being miserable. And so fast forward, I'm, I'm 21 years old and I think, well, I'm 20 years old, I'm like, well, I'm just working at this dead-end job and, you know, washing cars and, you know, partying on the weekend. I need to find something that's worthwhile to do with my life. And so I began to, uh, uh, I thought, you know what, I'll be, I'll be a cop. I'll go be a cop, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so I remember beginning that process and going through that whole process and, you know, taking the test and doing the background and, you know, it's a lengthy process. And, um, but for whatever reason, they kept moving me along in the process and, and I remember getting to the point where you, uh, you had to take the polygraph and you had to, um, we're getting ahead. That one's not yet. I'm going to show you guys that one later. But, but um, anyhow, I uh, get to the, the, the last few steps of the process and, and we go on a ride-along. And I remember being on that ride-along and, and things got real on the, on the ride-along. The, the deputy that I was with, he went to the domestic violence call and and the man was, was completely wasted drunk, and so was uh, his, his dad who lived there, and, and these men were being combative towards the deputy, and the deputy, uh, one was coming off, one, he he's talking to the son, and the dad was coming off the, uh, the porch to come up behind the deputy, and, and I remember I had to kind of, I'm wearing this polo shirt, you know, and I'm just, and I, I don't have a gun, you know, I don't have any, a taser or anything, and and I remember I had to step in between this, this drunk man who's coming up behind the cop. The cop used some very colorful language to tell him that you better get back before, before it gets real. And um, I remember just going on a few of those calls. The next step was to go into a prison tour. I remember stepping into uh, that prison and, and uh, just seeing the, and just feeling the demonic oppression in the prison and seeing those gang members tatted up and Just looking like, man, if if they would let me out, I would eat you alive. And, um, you know, it got real for me. (laughs) I went through the whole process, got accepted, had an academy date. And I said, you know what, before I go to do this, I better get right with God. (laughs) You see, the good thing about having a foundation that was laid in my life was that I knew where to go back. And so I began to drive myself into church. And let me tell you, God did a miraculous thing in my life. Literally, I remember from my 21st birthday, just getting wasted, coming home and, and just, you know, hugging the toilet and waking my mother up. I was still living with my mom and, and I, I could just see the disappointment in her eyes that night. And uh, I was in church that next day and um, God began to work in my life. I, it's such a whirlwind, I can't even remember just what God was doing, but, every, but now when I'm in the, ch- in the services, it was like every time the preacher was preaching, he was talking to me. He was reading my mail. He was stepping on my toes, and, and I promise you, it just God began to convict me. He began to convict me about things in my life, and, and you know, he, one day, he just convicted me. It wasn't the preacher. It was him. The Holy Spirit said, man, that, that music you're listening to that's talking about, you know, sleeping with women and shooting up the block and doing all these other things and selling drugs, that music that you're listening to, that is not from me. So you know who it's from. Get rid of it. And I, I've told you guys a story. I had, I had my gangster car. I had a 94 Lincoln Town car. It was so clean. I should have put a picture up there. <laughs> with 15-inch with subwoofers in the back. And, you know, I had the tweeters and the Alpine deck. And, you know, I put a lot of money into this system. You know, it cost more than my car. <laughs> and uh, so it was, you know, like, God, are you, are you, are you serious? And, and he just kept impressing upon me. So I took all those CDs. He, and first thought was to sell them or give them to someone. But he said, no, I want you to find a dumpster. And put it in there. And I did that. I remember it seemed like the word of God began to be amplified. Like when I would go to church or read my Bible at this time. And this is all happening in a 30 day period. And I just want to tell you, and I want to move forward quickly, but I'm going to tell you within 30 days I was leaving the club. Within 30 days I was enrolling in seminary. It was all God. I remember calling the recruiter saying, hey, I'm not coming for the academy coming up. And he said, are you crazy? <laughs> he said, you know what? Whatever. If you want to waste your time, you know, fine. You know, and, and I remember he be, <laughs> being upset, like, you wasted our time, <laughs> you know. And I, um, but I went to seminary. I didn't know what God was going to do with me. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that he was going to use me. I, didn't, I just didn't wanted to know more. I just wanted to get closer to him was my desire. So I enrolled into this seminary, a very conservative, fundamental um, type of seminary. And, um, you know, being there, you're in, you're in class every day. Of course, you have chapel every day, five days a week. You got church on Sunday. So I'm just getting like just sandblasted with preaching. <laughs> but I couldn't get enough of it. The word of God became just you know, my food for a while. I, I, I begin to devour the word of God and, and, and the seminary uh, readings. And I just begin to, and I never was a, a reader much before. And God just began to do a work in my life. And I remember uh, the day that he called me to preach. I remember sitting in the lobby there at, in between the class, and I was reading in Matthew 4. I think we have that verse, Matthew 4, verse 18 through 19. And it says this. Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that portion, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. That is the verse that God spoke to my spirit with and said, that's what I have for you. You've been wondering what your purpose is since you were a little boy. And that's what I have for you. And I remember being terrified because I, I, the, my most fearful thing to do is to speak in front of people. And I said, God, if, if this is you, this is, Lord, I know it isn't me. <laughs> I, I believe this is you. God, you're going to have to, you're going to have to do this. And I knew very little about you know, the Lord at this time, but I knew that if I were to fulfill what God was calling me to, to do, it would be him working in me. So I'm in this conservative fundamental uh, seminary and, and I'm thankful for that seminary because like I said, they immersed me in the word of God. They also put a heart of in for the loss. They also emphasized evangelism and we used to call it, we call it soul winning. Anybody who grew up in a church like that? And, um, So every week, we did ministry. We knocked on doors. God put me on a bus route where I would pick up children, underprivileged children. I still don't understand how that ministry worked. I was a complete stranger. I go knock on doors. I say, hey, I'm from such and such church, and I I want to uh, pick your kids up and take them with me on this big bus that has no (laughs) seatbelts. And sometimes we'd be over capacity a lot of times. And, and, you know, we're going to throw candy at them. We're going to do all these things. We're going to sing songs. We're going to have fun. And then we're going to take them to the church, and we're going to, you know, we're going to preach to them. And uh, parents would sign that paper and and let us take their kids. Like, I'm like, wow, how does this work? It's only God. (laughs) Or just parents just need a break or whatever it might be. (laughs) But I thank God for the bus ministry. Many, many, many children were led to Jesus Christ. And, and I learned, how I got my preaching legs on that bus. It's, you know, I would preach to those little kids, you know. And if you can preach to kids, you can preach pretty much to anybody. And um, I'm still a simple preacher. That's, that's, I think, one of the things that God ingrained in me at that time. Like, do not preach these deep theological, uh, you know, sermons. You know, I, don't try to use the big you know, words, a hypostatic union, or don't talk about pre-millennial and all. I mean, you talk about those things, but don't try to get up and show off, you know, just preach Jesus. And, um, (laughs) yeah, so I'm in seminary. God is chipping away at me. And um, I'm in my final year of seminary when someone comes back into my life. Well, let's show the, the basketball picture. While I in seminary, I, you know, I played basketball. If God gave me back something. I want to just start, just let me say this. And I, when you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. I want to say that. Now, does that mean everything? Oh, you say, well, I'm desiring that Lamborghini truck, Pastor, you know. <laughs> it's not everything. It's not just a, you know. Blanket statement, but I truly believe God allowed me, uh, because I was pursuing him, because I was seeking him, he allowed me to play basketball for, for two more seasons, and I had a lot of fun doing that, and, and you know, um, so in seminary, that was, my, my schedule was crazy, school, work after school, practice was from 9 to 11 p.m. Oh, there were nights where, you know, I wanted to run out of the gym and not come back ever again, you know, it was one of the hardest things I ever did, but, but it taught me something. It taught me how to, you know, stick to something, how to, how to finish. And um, so anyway, so my last year of seminary, someone comes back into my life. It's my wife. Actually, I saw her at, uh, at Walmart. And uh, when I saw her, every emotion, every, like, it just all flooded me. I, I, I fell in love with her once again. But the truth is, Facebook had come out. I had been stalking her for a while. (laughs) But never in a million years did I think, you know, she'd be back. So I saw her, and I played it cool. She didn't know. I invited her to church, and she came. And um, she started to attend the church regularly. And I know it was out of her element, you know. There was a very kind of stiff culture there. You you know, women only wore dresses and, and, you know, she came the first time wearing pants. She said, I felt out like a fish out of water. I felt, you know, and it's a long story, but she kept coming. And, and really for about a year, I just sat and I kind of watched and prayed secretly. And then one day, one of, one of our, our Sunday school teachers, his name is Brother King. I'll be forever grateful to him. He said, hey, Abram. I had never told him anything about our past and anything. He said, hey, Abram, what do you think about Erica. I said, I'm, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Let me tell you something. <laughs> and I poured it all out, and he was like, man, man, you got rocks for brains if you don't wife that girl. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Why you waited this long? <laughs> and um, so, so we began the day, and then I got cold feet again. I was just so dumb. And I said, oh, like, Pastor, I, when I listened to your testimony, how you guys broke up and got back together, broke, like, man, that was, that was us for a little bit. It was mainly me, though. Was it you, Pastor? <laughs> He's like, I just, but truthfully, this is where my heart was. I don't want to just be with her because, you know, she's fine. I'm attracted to her. I don't want to, like, I knew that I knew that I was called to ministry. And I said, God, you know, I'm not just looking for, well, I am looking for a wife first, but I'm also looking for a ministry partner. Little did I know what I was getting. I was getting the greatest gift other than my salvation. This woman has gone across the country, lived lived out of suitcases. I mean, she's gone. She's sacrificed more than anybody else in my life so that I could fulfill the call of God. And, And I didn't know what I was getting when I got my wife. So we were married, you know, in about eight months, you know. We didn't take a long time. When you know, you know. And, you know, the day she got married, she became a pastor's wife. We began to plant a little church out in Lake LA. I was excited on, on I think it was, um, was it Tuesday? No, it was last night, one of my, or the night before, Monday night. One of my friends now pastors that church in Lake LA, and, and um, they're, they're going to be an in independent church pretty soon. And and uh, he was um, he was here with his family last night, and, and that church is still going. And God taught me a lot out in that, that wilderness of Lake L.A. <laughs> um, but anyways, we get married. We serve at Lake L.A. for a few years. And then God is just putting it on my heart to go and plant a church in Los Angeles. And, and I couldn't really shake it. And so um, we, we set out to do that. It was about a year that we traveled And raised support and then we made it to Inglewood. And I'll never forget the first day we moved in. My wife was at Target getting some things. And um, I heard gunshots across the street. And I'm like, I'm not gonna tell her about that when she gets back. (laughs) What neighborhood did I have? We were in a little off of eucalyptus and you know, and and we were we were down in we're in the hood, honestly. But God had put it in my heart to go there, and so. We did that. I, I, we moved there in September of 2015. We launched the church in January of 2016. So I think we have a picture of that, like our first service. That was our first service. And it was New Heights Baptist Church. And we were meeting in a middle school. That middle school was $400 an hour to rent. And um, little than I know, you know we, we had raised some support, but we, we did not raise nearly enough. Because LA is a different animal, right? <laughs> And this was, you know, seven years ago, so it's, it's a lot worse now. And so I just remember from day one, just that struggle of trying to plant a church where you, you're you it. You know, everything falls on your shoulders. And, 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 and just the pressure of that, it was constant. And the financial pressures and, you know, really, I wasn't a good person, honestly. I, I, it, it, it spilled over into my marriage and and you know when you try to do the work of God without the power of the spirit it is the most frustrating thing you will ever try to do many christians are the most miserable of people because they don't have the fruit of the spirit and i truly was miserable once again here i am serving god here i am trying to fulfill his call in my life but i was going down there with a model that was given to me in my training in my seminary and 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 not with God, what do you want to do? How do you want us to reach these people? God, I need you. I, I, I didn't fast. I didn't pray. I didn't have the deeper life. It was it was truly arrogant. It was truly uh, assuming that God would be obligated to bless what I began, and, and God soon began to show me the fallacy of it, but I was too blind to see it. On that first day, we had over like 140 people there, and, you know, <laughs> that went down really quickly. And um, within about a year, year or so, we you know, were lucky if we had 30 people in the services. I'm preaching my heart out, but there was little fruit. And the financial struggles continued. My life began to unravel. I was secretly sneaking off and drinking to numb myself. The enemy was trying to get me to go off the deep end, tempting me in areas that I hadn't been tempted in before. I'm telling you, I was in his crosshairs, and I was, uh, I was very close to going off the deep end. And I remember just all of it coming to a head. I talked about it uh, the other night in the sermon, how, you know, Eric and I were having a, a very rough patch. She had, had, we've gone through so much. You know, marriage is hard, you know, but you add ministry in it. Then we had gone through, like, <laughs> yeah, you have ministry to it. Phil knows, yeah. My wife had gone through a miscarriage. I remember a topic, pregnancy, and, and um, you know, for, for literally months, just, just not herself. And here I am struggling. I can't help her. And I'm just getting more frustrated and, and just can't tell you the dark place that I was in. And um, finally, to, it really came to a head when we were in that driveway, and I, it just all spilled out, and I weeped like a baby. And God saw that brokenness. You know, God will not despise a broken and contrite heart. I, I at that point, finally, all of the pride of what I knew, my fundamentalist background, you know, what I had, you know, accomplished or how I was viewed all of that didn't matter in that moment I knew that I needed something that I didn't have and my wife prayed for me and that's when pastor Shane reached out to me and the process began I I um at that point I began to for the church I was doing a study because I was going to preach through the book of Acts and um So we're getting to the part where the fundamentalist gets fire. And so I'm going to preach through the book of Acts and, you know, I'm reading through the book of Acts and for some reason, God began to speak to me about the spirit's work, how God told the church, Hey, you guys don't leave this room until the promise comes, the power of the Holy spirit and, and the explosion of the church Once the Spirit of God was was filling these men and how Peter stood up on that day of Pentecost, the Bible says he was filled with the Spirit. And he preached and 3,000 people were saved and baptized. And and a part of me was like, man, like when I preach, nobody gets saved. When I preach, you know, it's like, "Mm." and I'm like, God. What am I, am I missing that? I began reading biographies, Amy Carmichael, D.L. Moody. I found a little booklet, Why God Used D.L. Moody. I began to read these things. And I remember making an appointment with the pastor in Canoga Park who was a friend of mine. He'd let me come and preach for him and he'd feed me and, you know, he'd bless me. And I love this man. I still love this man. And, and uh, I remember asking him at, that, at lunch after preaching in their chapel one day, I said, hey, uh, have you ever heard of this term, the fullness of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit? He's like, yeah, I've heard of it. It's, it's, it's used mostly in charismatic circles, but you know, you, know, you know where we stand on that. We believe that at the moment you're saved, you get all the Spirit you're going to get. I said, oh, okay, all right. And I left it alone. But I began to read and, 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 and see that there, there's something, and I knew it in my own life, there was something missing. I remember going and doing a wedding for a friend of a friend and my wife and I were at this wedding at this time. Honestly, we were still thinking about even though pastor had reached out to me, I was still thinking about uh, shutting the church down and moving to Chicago and, and taking a, a pastorate there with this, this pastor I'd known. And um, we were really seriously thinking about it and considering it. And we were talking about it on the drive down to Um, I think it was um, Murrieta area. Uh, And so we get to the wedding and before the wedding, we meet the parents of the the bride. And she says, she looks at me and my wife in the eyes. She says to us, she says, I don't know if this means anything to you, but God is telling me to tell you not to move. And, Conservative fundamental me was like, oh, woman, I you know, just still, even though I'm like, we are thinking of moving. That's what we were talking about the whole way down. This is what we're thinking about when we get home. What are we going to do? And my wife just, her jaw is open. <laughs> and she's like, God said to stay put. She reminded me of that. I, I totally forgot about that. So we're at this wedding, and, and God gives us, I think, a prophetic word. I still wasn't listening to God because I was still planning to move. But the pastor calls me up a day or two after we we get home from this wedding. He says, you know what? Hey, I want you to still come, but I'm leaving. I'm taking a church in Arizona. And I'm like, no, no, fam, that doesn't sound right. (laughs) I I can't. What mess are you leaving for me? You know, I'm already shell-shocked trying to plant this church in L.A. And so I remember God shutting that door when I wouldn't listen to him. And so God is just chipping away at me. And I remember, as God began to show me things and reveal things about myself and what I had neglected in 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 walking with Him, and how I did not have the fullness of the Spirit, and and, and you know, I, I began more and more to this to, to to want to break the chains of of <laughs> how can I say it the the uh, the allegiance that I had to this certain group. The more I I looked into it and I cursed pastors, you know, he's emailing me, we're talking and we're thinking like, what, what, what does this look like? Why did, you know, there's a reason why God brought us together. And, um, but God more and more began to reveal to me and my wife as well, that he's probably going to bring us back to this desert. Now, let me tell you, it's the most humbling thing that could have happened to me because, you know, we're, we're back in town and, People from our church see us at Costco. I remember for the first year, I'm avoiding all those people from my former church. Like I see them our own way. Oh, I'm just, I don't want to have to explain this story of why or what's going on. And, but I remember God put it on our heart. And after about three uh, days of fasting, he confirmed that we were to come to West Side. Let me back up. I, he, God really confirmed it when I came to preach the first time. And the spirit of God was in this place. Now I know what, what was going on. That day, I didn't really quite understand. Like, what is this that I'm feeling in my like, Why is this? That, what am I feeling in here? From the time we stepped on campus, God began to get up and I'm preaching. And there's a liberty I hadn't experienced in years. And just the worship's going. And just, you know, pastors off on vacation somewhere by a lake fly fishing, you know. <laughs> And I'm here, and just God is doing it, you know, because it's not about a man. I want you guys to understand that it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about, this isn't about, and I'm telling my testimony tonight so you guys can understand. It's not, it's not about me. It's about the hero of all of our story, Jesus. Amen. And so <laughs> we get here. You know, I take a job. We're coming here, and, I, you know, God is just doing the work. He's chipping away at me week by he still has to humble me more, break off that those those <laughs> those chains that were holding me. And I remember it was a process, and God used some difficult circumstances to humble me further. And I remember having to call Pastor and say, "Hey, I need some help financially. I need some help, Pastor." Like, and this that hurt me. You know, I was so prideful, and uh, but God was breaking away. I remember my wife and I, I had to. I'm gonna tell you this story. My wife came to me and we were struggling trying to just balance everything when we got back here. And I remember she said, oh, we kinda need some shampoo, honey, or some, you know, some hair products. How many of you guys have daughters and you know, man, those hair products hit me every, every month? It's like it gets more and more expensive. Anyways, but <clears throat> and she says, We need this. I was like, I don't got any money. <laughs> And I just went in my room and I just, I cried like, God, like, did you, did I come back here to this desert to be, you know, with my tail between my legs and, 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 you know, I can't even take care of these basic needs. And I remember God was chipping away at me. Shortly after that, we had a worship night here and, um, you know, I, I wasn't one to come to the altar. I, I, I wasn't really much of a hand raiser at this point. I really didn't have a a, a close or a a life, I would say of, of, of worship. Yeah. But I remember that worship night, God just did something in my heart. He told me to go to the altar. And uh, I told Chris, because Chris Correa, who was here the other night was, was leading that worship night. And and God, in that moment at the altar, when I cried out to him, he met me there. The fire fell on me. It was, I don't know if it fell on anybody else that night. Because the rest of the night, it was like the room was empty. It was me and the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, it was an experience that I had never in my entire Christian life felt. It was absolute ecstasy. I mean, like, I can't even explain it to you. And I'm weeping uncontrollably. And I don't cry in front of people I, at that time. And, <laughs> and I'm just, I don't care who sees me up there. I don't care who hears me. I, I, God did something in my heart that night. And I got up from that. And I, I truthfully can tell you guys, I was different. Now, have I been perfect? Absolutely not. We are leaky vessels. And you know what? We have to continue. The Bible says Be filled with the Spirit. I want you to see uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. The Bible says, and do not be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation, excuse me, but be filled with the Spirit. I want you to understand that word in the context there. Filled means continually being filled. Because we're leaky vessels, we got to continually seek the filling of the Spirit. (sighs) fresh anointing, more of God. And uh, but I'm telling you, after that day, there was a difference in me. I, 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 was, I was different in the pulpit. I was different at home. I was different. And it wasn't because of anything that I had done. It was because the Spirit of God was working in my life. All of a sudden, I'm reading the Bible and, you know, I'm seeing more and more of the, the need of us as believers to, to walk in the spirit so we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, the spirit of God. John said, the one that comes after me, he will baptize you in fire. So as I, 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 um, I share this testimony because, and I've shared it many, many times with, with friends of mine who come from similar background as I did, and and um. And I've shared it with them. I've, I've tried to uh, tell them, hey, there's something more to this. There's more, that, there's more of God that can be, uh, be had if you are hungry. Jesus said, out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. He, <laughs> he didn't mean that uh, we would have this dry you know, type of walk with him, whereas, you know, like you, like you hear all the time here, people who are straight as an arrow, theologically, but empty as that barrel can be. And I'm telling you, that's what's missing from many people in the church today. They don't have the filling of the Spirit. I just want to encourage somebody tonight, if you know that's you, I knew something was missing in my life. I knew there was, there was there's, there's something lacking in my life walk with God there. I knew there was no fruit of the spirit. I knew that there was, uh, I was losing the battle against temptation, against sin. I knew that there was issues. My marriage was falling apart. Everything around me was being destroyed by me. And I, I couldn't turn it around on my own. I knew I needed something. And God showed me.